welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Father Mike. Well, no. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, sponsored by Our Lady of Lords, Roman Catholic Church and School, in classical school. <laughs> this is, uh, if you find yourself at the grotto, you have found yourself in a holy place. Yes, thank you, Father Mike. This is Mike. Father Mike. Uh, this is Father Sean. Uh, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, sponsored by the, the CBIC, Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception. Denver, Colorado, 1983. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> That's so random. What are you doing? That's right. How are you doing, man? Well, right now I'm a little tired. I took a little nap, but I'm doing really good. Can I give you a compliment? Sure. You always have well-coiffed hair. I don't know what coiffed means, but thank you. I'm not you. sure I do either, but I've heard that expression, but it's always in place. Who does your, uh, you, who cuts your hair? I try to go to a different place oftentimes. And um, listener land, don't take this the wrong way, but I try to, uh, my goal in life is to never pay for a haircut. Oh. Because they're way too expensive. So so how do you pull this off then? I, I'm, I paid 25 bucks at the cost cutters. That's pretty good. Did you tip? It was twenty. It was twenty, and I think I tipped seven. Okay, is that all right? I mean, I don't. That's usually about what I tip ter- for a haircut. Terribly generous, but I'm also like. I usually tip around ten for a haircut, so usually it's around like thirty. You for don't me. pay for a haircut. What are you talking about? What, tip? Like so, last you sound time all I, fancy. Last time I went, I got a haircut. I did go to Cost Cutters, and I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me! It was like thirty bucks. Um, shout out to Carly and Simon Turner. They've both cut my hair before. Is that? Um, Archbishop Nathan Goebbels? No, they're they're parishioners here at Lords, and um, they both just have clippers and they cut my hair from time to That's time. That's kind, man. It is a great gift. It's a great gift. Sometimes my family members cut my hair. Mm-hmm. My favorite barber was this um, sister, little sister of the poor, because mm-hmm. she was so proud to have cut my hair during COVID. That's awesome. That she would call me and say hey do you need a haircut you know this little little nun well it probably gave her a lot of purpose she knew i gave that priest a haircut well she's got tons of purpose in her life that's why i was embarrassed by it i'm like i'm gonna get in the way of you exercising charity did it have to do with your rat tail it did not it's been a minute since the rat tail (laughs) you know i'm getting i would have cut your hair i'm getting gray how do you feel about that um, I just got new glasses, and I got bifocals. They say gray comes with wisdom, don't they? I think the other way. Wisdom comes with age, like that. Yeah, but like the gray hair is a sign that you're old, which or means stress. you're wise. They also say stress, don't they? Well, they say I st- don't know. I think it's genetic. Honestly, my dad's got I think it's white genetic, hair. too, because someone was saying that, oh, when you're stressed a lot, that you lose your hair. But someone actually, someone else told me recently that that's actually not true. That's kind of a myth. I would imagine. For some, yeah. Yep. Because you get stressed and you have a full head of hair. Oh, yeah, thanks. (laughs) How do you know I get stressed? You're not supposed to say that. I'm just teasing. I do, though. Do you get stressed? I get stressed. I live with a lot of stress. Do you? Is it it my fault or is it circumstances or should I just not try to blame anything? That's funny you say that because I actually don't think you are a stressful person. I give the impression of being real chill. You are chill. Happy all the time. And I am usually in turmoil and overwhelmed and exhausted and fr- I, frustrated. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't believe that. that. I don't believe that true. at all. That's not true. But stressed, yeah. I get real stressed. Yeah. I mean, I recently, just because I came back rested from this retreat, and then I also don't have the same workload because mm-hmm. I'm not teaching this semester, I actually cleared my inbox. It was amazing. Well done. And I say, well, now what? I don't, I don't know how to live without that stress. Well, now you need a project. It was like a monkey on the back. Now you need a project. You need something to work on. You know, I always was curious like about Like writing that a book. Expression because I, I think I'd like a monkey on my back. <laughs> you know, a pet monkey. They're pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I could write books. What do you think? Should I write books? Aren't you writing one right now? A couple of them. Yeah. In the process? I have started. I have the concepts down 
Um, and then I'm, yeah, I'm starting to write. I feel like I have to knock the rust off of the, what do you knock the rust off? <laughs> the nail. Your chassis. <laughs> Your car chassis. <laughs> the chassis. That's my car uh, chassis has like all this rust on it and the, the mechanic is I don't like, even, where's the chassis? It's the steel frame that your car sits on top I of. I see. Okay. And it's bad for your car? It kind of looks cool. Well, Isn't it gritty? If it's, if it's rusted, like the steel frame, then you're going to have problems with your car. With your car. Okay. Well, knock the dust, knock the rust <laughs> off of your chassis. <laughs> That's going to be my motto. I'm going to make a bumper sticker or use that for for the homily. (laughs) Should I use that for my homily? I think people would love that, especially people at the cathedral. They'll be like, Father Mike, you're so crazy. If they don't, what if they don't have a rusty chassis? What if they don't know what a chassis is? (laughs) That's true. You might have to explain chassis. What a word. I like that. I'm loving it, man. Yeah, so I'll knock the rust and uh, start learning to write again. Just practice, 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 as they say, don't they? Practice makes perfect. I don't believe that. No, perfect practice makes perfect. Oh, all right. (laughs) Well, I'll try that then. (laughs) I'm, I'm wondering, like, I have these fits of enthusiasm, and then the once I hit a, a kind of roadblock or I get bored with a project or it becomes difficult and it always does, mm-hmm. then I have a hard time persevering through that. But are you writing? I'm f- growing older and wiser. Yeah, the gray hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you writing for fun or for academically, for a purpose? I'm doing both. Okay. I'm doing both. And uh, it's going to start, the, the roads are going to start to diverge. But um, initially, it's just fun to brainstorm. And So I'm writing three. Do you want to hear about these things? I mean... I would love to. Absolutely. I'll tell you. Well, okay. I just don't know if the listener land has heard about them. Well, so I am, I do get self-conscious about, uh, setting up expectations. Mm-hmm. So the people are like, when's that book coming out? <laughs> hey, <And laughs> I don't like the, you know, the expectation. I don't know what the timeline is. I don't like the pressure. I don't like stress. How about that? What about a century ride a month? I don't like that because <laughs> I don't get invited to do it. <laughs> Father Sean is doing a century ride, 100-mile ride at one shot. I don't know if he takes a break. Do you take a... I mean, we take breaks, but within one day, Yeah, 24-hour period. And he's doing one a month. Uh, I had mass at the Missionaries of Charity this morning, and there's this guy, Chris, who is um, jet black hair. He's 72, and he rode... Uh, he rides some wild number of miles is 30 is 3,000 a lot in a month in a month yeah yeah I don't even do 3,000 in a year right so this guy is riding like a madman at 72 and he just brags about all he does is ride his bike love his wife and teach the catechism at Sacred Heart (laughs) I don't know if you can love your wife if you're biking 3,000 miles in a month Know, that's insane me. anyways interrupt good you. for your heart my point in saying that is like i announced this dumb challenge oh yeah i'm gonna ride 100 miles per month century ride per month and now i feel like i have to do it that's good though you're because you're over the hump I am. When, as you're leading up you can get discouraged to the point where you're like ah this is just too much ahead now you're in the spot where i better see through see this through i think i have to four right. left anyways what are your book topics you can do it and i'm hoping to join you for the next one how's Great. that i've been training Per- perfect practice makes for perfect execution. Wonderful. And I'm writing a book called Monsignor Clemens Guidebook to How Not to Be Such a Jerk. That's on, uh, a, it's, uh, my hope would be that it's kind of satirical and entertaining enough, fun, fun enough. That's such a setup for failure. But that um, I, can, I can write this book for a popular audience that's not religious or kind of post-Christian. So the idea being when you, um, when you hear the word sin, most adults think that's silly. It's something behind me. It's, something, it's just a word that describes being naughty and what your parents would shake their finger at. You know? And then the concept is stupid. It's just stupid. Why should I care about this? You know, that was just a a little word to make you feel guilty. And, but I'm trying to to communicate that there's a purpose to the wisdom of the church that I don't have to use that language, you know, sin or whatever. I'm calling it being a jerk. And 
that there's different categories. And if you're a jerk, then eventually you find yourself lonely, sad, angry, and you don't know why. Why are you lonely? Because you're a jerk and nobody wants to be around a jerk, you know? So I'm going to try to get into the seven deadly sins and without using that language. I love it. Why are you going to use, what did you say, Monsignor Clemens? Yeah. Who's he? Yeah, I can't blow the surprise. Okay. <clears throat> he's Don't a, blow the he's surprise. a character that is my pen, pen name character. He's invented. Gotcha. So he's invented. Okay. I was yeah. like, is this like your childhood pastor or something? No. And it's fun to invent a character that you write with, that you're, you know, the voice of. That's just fiction. So it's, uh, it gives you freedom to, to speak and think in ways that you wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that's one. I'm trying to write one on um, Luke's gospel or Luke and Acts. It'll probably be Luke and Acts. And is that um, academic? Um, and on enlightenment in Luke and Acts, specifically enlightenment toward peace. So uh, the, dawn sh- the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Hmm. So the idea being throughout, like follow the theme throughout Luke and Acts of enlightenment, eyes being opened and the consequent peace that comes from it. Love it. Yeah. And then, and that one is the, the audience in my mind is the average Catholic reader. Okay. Who wants edification and to learn about the Bible. Like me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll like it. I, I hope you'll like it. I hope It'll be the kind of book that you'll want to read, that you'll learn from, and um, that you'll be enlightened, know, happy to have read. You know? yeah. Okay, so then the third one is The Enemies of God, A Precarious Journey, or no, the Bible's Precarious Journey to Compassion. Hmm. So it's going to go through the uh, history of salvation in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. the major moments and characters on of the journey of Israel, face, it, but it's going to focus on the enemies. So it's going to be, you know, Egypt and why they're, you can get, you know, crushed by Egypt and never set out and uh, the Canaanite gods who are all about sex and aggression. And I'm going to talk about the, the religious cult, you know, like the, the religion itself, how it, how it was practiced. And, and just the same thing, Assyria, Babylon, and um, eventually you're growing in compassion. And there's a little like twist to it, but I'm not going to reveal that mm. to you, not yet. And that, well, uh, let's see, I would hope that that is going to have a broader appeal to Christians. You don't have to be Catholic, but it'll have anybody who loves the Bible. Awesome. Yeah. So I like to have a few irons in the fire, as they say and uh, juggle those projects so hopefully you know pray that it's good to mention these because i can ask for everybody's prayers for uh perseverance because i think they're well like set up and organized and i've done all the outlining and everything but Mm -hmm. the execution gets complex you start writing and then you say "Eh, do i want to actually follow that line or whatever yeah. Do you make your outline before? <clears throat> it sounds like you kind of have some of it in your head. I but. do a mental outline and then, yeah, I've written down the outline. I'm, I think it's important to, to remain flexible, mm-hmm. but the, the enemies of God stuff is um, stuff that I've taught. So it's already kind of been worked out in my you know, mind. Very cool. Yeah. Are you writing anything? Do you write? You I don't. Write. I, I I, there's a tension in me about writing okay. because one, I don't like have the letters after my name. Not that you necessarily need no, those per it. se, I get it. but um, I also think like there's so much content out there. I even struggle with, uh, if I'm honest, I even struggle that with this, with podcasts. This podcast started, right? A J10 initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of on the cusp 2010. of 2010, January, 2010. It was uh, on the cusp of, podcast just becoming and i think catholic stuff was like the front runner for catholic podcasts and you go on to apple podcast now or whatever and just say like catholic podcast or whatever and there's tons of like catholic priests out there doing podcasts tons and i just like that's where i wrestle with like i'm super honored to be invited on this podcast it's still uh (laughs) can be a little bit intimidating to me really um but there's but for, for writing then it's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like my voice okay. because there's, there's so much content out there and I trust what's out there. And, um, especially from, you know, higher academics. And I think the AI, the Augustine Institute, those professors are putting out amazing stuff. 
uh, people from Focus and Curtis Martin, those guys have written some really, really powerful books. Totally. Um, and, and certainly it's a different audience, sure. But like, what would I contribute to the Catholic intellectual world? And maybe that's naive of me. I don't know, but that's just my current thought right now. No, it's good. I think it's important. You don't want to just have overlap. I don't, at least I don't. You know, I, I want to write something if I'm convinced that it's not been written. And it's an interesting, I mean, there's a lot of repetition in formation and mm-hmm. catechesis. So to, to, to read something similar to what you've read before, it can actually just be helpful in like learning, but that's okay. I don't think you, it, you're going to write something that you love and that is going to be something that people love when you say, I'm supposed to write this, you know? Yeah. I will say like my interest right now, if I did write anything, it would be, Kind of like um, your last book that you mentioned of, uh, you want it to be an audience of, well, maybe your first book, you want it to be an audience of, of anyone, of just like, hey, I'm going to talk about the seven deadly sins without ever using that language. I would love to write a book that would be evangelistic in nature, um, that would capture people's attention, um, and whether that's through fiction or nonfiction, I don't necessarily know, but I think there's something really profound about using the 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 world, if you will, creation or whatever it is to help bring people to Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of Father John's project with the Colorado Trail book and the 14ers. I think that's a great project. I Mm -hmm. think he might attract a lot of secular people in that. And what a way to maybe get them to think more about Christ with what they're doing. Yeah. And also just form the minds of Catholics. I mean, that's really what this show is about. Primarily, like what we've tried to do is to show that because of the incarnation, God is in everything. Mm-hmm. So somehow a plant relates to, a plant is Catholic stuff. And there's a way to relate, you know, your toes and your um, <laughs> thoughts and everything. So yeah, it's, I think... It's our worldview. To connect, to, to open people's eyes to that, that in a broader audience is cool too. There's a great essay. I should recommend an author called Ron Hansen. So Ron Hansen, he's written, uh, he wrote one called Exiles that's really cool on Gerard Manley Hopkins and The Wreck of the Deutschland. He wrote one called Desperados. He wrote one that was made into a movie called The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. He wrote, um, oh, what's that one about? Oh, rats. Atticus. I think it is. It's about rats? Or Ad- just, Atticus. What's that one about rats? No, that's called uh, Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Yeah, that's a good one too, but Ron Hansen didn't write that. He's also got the, a, a book of essays called Stay on Confusion, a Stay Against Confusion. And I had recently read that, so that kind of reignited my interest in writing. And mm. he's all about you know writing fiction that isn't explicitly Catholic, but... Um, letting it be imbued with the mystery of God. And uh, he's pretty darn good at it. Ron Hansen, he's a permanent deacon over in California. He teaches at Santa Clara, I think. Gotcha. Great author. So let's see. What do you, what, how's your heart? Like physically or like my, my cardia or my, or my anima? I love it. Both. Come on. How's your heart these days? My physical heart, I think is, is pumping strong. I don't work out as much as I'd like to, so it's probably weaker than I'd like it to be. Uh, but my like spirit, my heart in that sense, I'm doing well. I had an amazing, amazing experience at World Youth Day. Yeah. I loved it. And Deacon Jacob and I just did a podcast on it. I'm we sorry should... to say I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, I will, though. You, you, yeah, you're welcome to. It wasn't a great podcast. I just re-listened to it because I was going to send it to my 47 pilgrims. And like... It was right after the vigil. We were so sleep deprived. We were so exhausted. And we just like retold the story about it, which maybe you all liked, maybe not. Um, But I just didn't think it had any content in it. It was just like, and you know, most of it was just bantering about like what we did and did we like it? We did not like it. But anyways, I I feel like the last week and a half, I've been riding on the graces, uh, kind of the high of World Youth Day, along with we just celebrated this week the 30th anniversary of World Youth Day 93 here in Denver when JP2 came here with the Feast of the Assumption on Tuesday. 
Um, and so honestly, yeah, I've been just grateful to be back in priestly life uh, here in the parish. I'm really excited for fall formation starting up. RCIA, I'm teaching RCIA this year. There's just a lot of good, exciting things coming. Um, and I feel stable. Whereas like the month of, I was gone for uh, three weeks in the month of July. Uh, one for personal vacation, one for companion summer conference. And then I guess two weeks in July and then one week in August for World Youth Day. So it's just like, oh, I'm just so glad because <laughs> I'm more of a homebody. I'm so glad to be back and just hanging out. You like routine? I do typically like routine. Yeah, I like having things in the midst of the routine to kind of mix it up and break it up. But I'm definitely more of a homebody consistency. Wake up the same time every morning uh, type of guy. Yeah, stay on top of things. You get behind with communications and work and stuff when you go on mm-hmm. vacations in spite of the joy of that. Do you have, um, I don't want to like rehash a podcast you already did, but do you have like a highlight that you would share now? Share yeah, with me. I think um, maybe two two graces. That priest who was doing the DJing. Oh. I saw a clip of that. Padre Guillermo. <laughs> that was hilarious. EDM DJ. So Catholic corny, man. At 7 a.m. Oh, I was so grumpy. Because you don't sleep at the vigil. Have you been to a World Youth Day? It's been a while, but I did. I Paris in '97, okay, and Toronto in something. Oh two, oh two. I believe. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. So maybe two graces. One, Jacob Deacon Jacob shared this on our podcast, but at the vigil, there was a moment during the Eucharistic adoration where 1.5 million people were dead silent for Ooh. about 15 minutes. Yeah. And it was cool. I thought we were going to sing like the O Salutaris because everyone knows it. But I think part of the reason why they don't is because the way the sound travels, like mm. you wouldn't really be in union. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we kneel down and like you're kind of kneeling towards a TV screen, which is kind of odd because uh, the monstrance is so far away. You can't see but it. But you know, you're all in the same direction. You know where it is. Correct. Yeah. Um, but the power of just like this hush over the crowd. That's amazing. Why is everyone here to worship the Lord? Yeah. Not rioting, not in chaos, but in just a deep peace. And that was so powerful. Uh, just hearing that hush over the crowd. So that's one grace from, from awesome. there. 1.5 million. 1.5 million Ooh, was the number. It's great. A lot of people. Super cool. You never hear that silence. What has the power to make everybody that quiet? It's cool. It is cool. I would say the grace since being back for me personally, has been hearing everyone else's graces. And part of this is a little prideful of me, but like um, I made this trip happen. And to see the different people have powerful experiences makes my heart warm, uh, warms my heart of like, mm. if they didn't go, they never would have had that experience. And um, <clears throat> there's a specific few people um, that have shared some like really powerful graces that they had in, in Portugal with me. Um, and that just, I mean, it's not mine to share. I don't want to share those details, but yeah, I'm just sure. like, like this, this one girl, maybe just to share this, uh, shout out to Melissa. She was like the other day, she was like, low key father, Sean, this trip changed my life. Yeah. And I was like, tell me more. So, um, just powerful experiences like that. The Lord really, um, knocking on people's hearts and people responding. That's great. I love that image of, well, you've already used heart language warms my heart. I like that. Um, grateful heart. What'd you say? Knocking on the heart. Jesus is there. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm good for you. I'm really happy. I didn't really have um, a specific cause to go. We don't have the right demographic at the cathedral. Sure. And, I, you know, if I was with a pilgrim group, it would make sense. I hope somehow that I'll, you know, have the, the reason to go with... Uh, World Youth Day in South Korea. Oh, I've always loved Korea. Yeah. So. Have you been there? No. No. No, I would love to go. So well, Let's go. Let's plan a trip. Yeah, I mean, if you invite me with this parish or somehow I get connected with a group, I feel like it's kind of lush. You may not just, be at the cathedral to in just four years. Go. That's true. Who and knows? I probably won't be at Lord's in four years. That's right. But, um, yeah, we can hope. We can. But I'm just happy that you guys had that great you know, experience and it is beautiful. It's so broad, you know, that exposure to Catholic around the world and the, the, just the excitement and the reverence and the, it's, it's great. It's great being Catholic. It's a good reminder to, you know, how this is not just our little bubble. Right. How's your heart? My heart is, um, in need of exploring. I think it's, 
uh, a little bit restless, unfortunately. Um, it's grateful. It's sad, actually. It's a little broken. It's a little broken right now. I've you, you mentioned and you know that I've spent a lot of time at the hospitals the last two weeks. And um, I'm a sensitive guy. Not for yourself, though. Right, right. Clarify. No, as a priest, um, yeah, visiting, visiting mostly to anoint um, those who are dying, and then a couple times to bless those um, bodies that are dead, lying lying in state, and then uh, to pray with the families and everything. So I share some of that uh, sadness, um, but I don't know. Maybe this will help me reflect on the on the heart. Just kind of state of my heart. So, let's see. I looked up. I just did a wedding, so I should say I am. Uh, my heart is full, and it's uh, joyful. I'm a little bit tired, but um, I love weddings, and I love when love is in the air and all that romance and cheesy stuff and um, fl- what flowers and beautiful people dressing up for the good things like love. Okay, I looked up heart and it found out that it beats 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. In a lifetime. And it's the average is 100,000 times in a day. Wow. 35 million in a year. 100,000 times every day uh, your heart's going to beat. And what does a heart do? Why does it beat? To pump blood to your lungs, to and? get oxygenated, and then comes back to your heart to pump it to the rest of the body from the right ventricle. Hey, good for you, man. I actually had to kind of remind myself of, uh, so then what does it do? What does the blood do? Why would it pump oxygen to the rest of the... Because your your um, cells need oxygen to, to function, to live, to... And the, the bloodstream also carries different um, enzymes, or I don't know, I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but different minerals, enzymes, uh, amino acids, proteins to your cells, uh, to get them to the right spot. Yeah. And it clears out toxins when it comes back and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. Pretty fascinating and beautiful. This machine. Ain't no, ain't no rust on that chassis. (laughs) No rust on the chassis. Uh, and what's cool with the, the heart and the blood is that, um, you like it's, it's, what do we call it? Autonomic or whatever. We don't force it. Like you're not, every time your heart beats, you're not like heartbeat heartbeat and you're like body breathe lungs breathe you know like it's the autonomic system like it does it itself it's amazing and beautiful sometimes it gets a little wonky where you need a pacemaker or um i don't know of course if it stops or it gets clogged or something's wrong then you can have a rest um but yeah beautiful and fascinating um central piece it really i mean it's it's kind of like in some way the central piece of the body, mm-hmm. right? If it shuts down, you're in trouble. And it's doing a job that's so essential for all of the organs. You know, everything's important, but uh, the heart. And it's literally at the center, at least for human beings. So, did you know your heart is the size of your fist? I have heard that. Yep. And it's just offset to the left. Yep, just to your left. In the chest. Okay, what about. Uh, you can now you can do things to control your heart rate and there's like you know practices of being very intentional about breathing and um being around hot and cold but one of the ways that you can do it is what you do regularly which is exercise so what what happens when you exercise so we we talk about the distinction between aerobic and anaerobic exercise oh boy aerobic exercise is like the threshold where you're not producing lactic acid or whatever but anaerobic uh, exercises where like you're breathing so hard that your lungs can't keep up and your muscles get fatigued um, so this would be like a all-out sprint or whatever right uh, when you're exercising you're you're and especially if you're going to the anaerobic state you're stressing your heart hopefully in a healthy way not overstressing it but in a way that says like this is a muscle I'm going to work it harder that way my heart can grow bigger as a bigger muscle that way it can be stronger and pump blood around my body and um of course when you do that as well you're burning fat and you know i'm not a scientist don't treat me like i'm your you sound like uh, hey what do you call it your uh pt or your uh, cardiologist yeah anyways i can't get my words out but my point is 
Uh, don't listen to me for medical advice. This is just what I oh, understand about it. That's important. Okay, so you get your heart going real, 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 real hard. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're biking real heavy, what do you do? You try to get um, to gauge your um, kind of where you want to be in terms of effort by watts or what, like wattage or heart rate. I do mostly watts, but you got to listen to your body as well. What uh, What's the high that you can sustain for heart rate? Um, my heart max is probably like 170. Whoa. That's Actually, low, I take the back 180. So um, I usually sustain around 160. But if I'm going all out, I'll get up to like 175. My heart very rarely gets up to 180. I think that's like the highest it's ever gotten for me. Wow. According beats, to my beats watch. Per, beats per minute. Okay. If you su- sustain that kind of heavy heartbeat for a long time, mm-hmm. then when you stop, the rest of your kind of average heartbeat eventually goes lower you know Isn't that fascinating so like really uh serious athletes have mm-hmm. a very low resting heart right rate, yeah right and the low heart rate is of course you know typically related at least in, in normal circumstances with health with relaxation with peace and um, i love that so the the point being the simple point being if you work the heart then the consequence is while you're working it, it's very like active and agitated. Um, maybe not agitated is the word, but uh, working hard. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of your life is more peaceful. Tranquilo. Tranquilo. So I'm fascinated recently by this idea of using that as a spiritual analogy. And just like we use the heart for a million analogies, you know, if you've got a cold, cold heart, uh, you got a broken heart, you got a um, hard heart, you got, uh, you, you speak heart to heart, um, you've, the heart grows fonder with this. Ah, there's a million expressions, yeah, right? It warms my heart. Yeah, it warms your heart. The, um, so the spiritual analogy, I think, is the more you pay attention to your heart and you let your heart, you do work with your heart. You um, a- examine your heart. You try to bring your heart to Christ and be sh- share your heart with the sacred heart. And um, the more you attend to it, the more you're working it and you can have the consequence of peace Hmm. and uh there's a bible verse i want to share with you that's uh related to this great can i say one thing first talk to me um you just got back from the 30 day i did and those are called the spiritual exercises Mm -hmm. right and what i love in his opening kind of couple of paragraphs is saint ignatius says these are exercises just like you exercise for your heart you know, you go for that run, you exercise your body so that you can stay in shape. Well, these are spiritual exercises to help your spiritual life stay in shape. So to continue that analogy, it's like, yeah, if I don't have the consistency of prayer, then when I go to pray, it's going to feel really uncomfortable and you're going to be breathing extra hard. You're going to be working extra hard and it's going to feel really uncomfortable. Just like when you don't exercise for a month and then go for that jog, it's like, I'm out of breath all the time because your body's not used to it. Yeah. You got to train, exercise, and not only is it become difficult to pray, but it becomes difficult to live. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just more anxious of a person. So I use the word anxious for a reason. Here's Philippians four, and it's um, verses four to seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Here we go. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you pray. Don't be anxious about anything. Prayer and ask, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So that practice of prayer, of gratitude, of thanksgiving, and supplication, ask God, trust that he'll do it, um, puts your entrusts your heart to Christ, who will give you a peace that passes all understanding, and so He can say, like legitimately, have no anxiety at all, mm. you know, about anything. So you, this is the work of the heart, and um, so I've noticed though, 
that with this these opportunities to be at the bedside of people dying that there's a phenomenon of where the heart is much more vulnerable and it's a real privileged time where a lot of heart work can be done um, that's certainly true for prayer but then sometimes the circumstances just provoke the heart yeah. and that vulnerability dr larry chap pointed out in um, that conference that we we went to a phrase that I thought was just fantastic, which is the valor of an unshielded heart. Mm. You remember that? This was from, I do. What was his context of that? It was, a, a, he was describing how Hans Urs von Balthasar pays a lot of attention to how Greek tragedy works and mm. how a hero in Greek tragedy is the one who um, honest is honest and accepts their fate. Mm. And, um, that there's like tragedy involved in that. And, but that's like the glory of a person. That's like a great life is the one who just accepts that their life is tragically bound toward disaster or that they're headed for glory and, and, you know, happiness and everything. And, um, but he says that there's a, there's a flip with the Christian, which is that the valor, the courage, the, the glory comes from a vulnerability that you're broken down. And not only are you like set your face like steel toward the, the difficulties of life, but you let the difficulties of life and other people affect you. Mm. you know? So the, the unshielded heart, instead of like the heart that becomes powerful, it's the heart that becomes vulnerable. So the valor, but there's valor in that. That's like the most noble thing. Mm. You know? So the valor of an unshielded heart. And I think you have an unshielded heart when you're in that situation of a loved one dying. Mm. So I wanted to just kind of point to what I found to be helpful in some of those situations to do heart work. Yeah. Um, uh, have you ever been in that situation? Bed, bedside, dying. someone mm -hmm. you, who you love is dying? Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's hard. Can you describe the experience at all? I think um, depending on how long they've been in that situation, right? So like one person I was with once was, um, they had been in hospice for a long, long time. Um, and so it was just like expected they would pass. Uh, and so my family had been preparing for this for days, weeks, you know. Um, but then I've been at the bedside of a young girl who uh, was on hospice for like two weeks. And so oh, it was just like, yeah. it was just the, the, the tragedy of that. But to me, the most beautiful deaths, honestly, are those that are slow um, and you have time to reconcile with people. You have time to pray. You have time to get right with God. You have time to yeah, forgive people you need to forgive. Uh, but those are also the deaths that no one wants. Right? Everyone typically says, I, when I die, I just want to go like, in the middle of the night and don't have to worry about to say good, <laughs> goodbye to every, anyone. Um, but those are actually the hardest deaths, especially for family members. Yeah. When they walk into the room and find their dead mom or son or whatever it's like whoa what am i supposed to do now so um but i would say to answer your question father mike like at the bedside i think it's this place of vulnerability of surrendering to the lord of like lord i'm going to miss this person and i'm just going to hold them in prayer right now uh send your angels to guide their soul to heaven to lift their soul to heaven to bring their soul to you the cloud of witnesses comes and carries our souls to heaven please god and you know i'm sitting there praying the rosary sitting there reading scripture sitting there um just in silence of like almost like a reverence almost like a veneration of that person that soul going to god mm -hmm. yeah it's a privileged place the i just looked at psalm 51 mm. the classic miserare and there in verse 17 you have um the sacrifice acceptable to God is, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, uh, you approve. Uh, you do not despise. Oh God, you approve of a broken heart. It's like a good place to be, a good place to be because it's, it's ready. It's ready for that work. And just like you said, one of those things. So Father Leone, uh, Monsignor Leone was an absolute genius, is an absolute genius for... Um, how to pastor the human heart mm. and how to move people's hearts, how to connect with hearts. And he, he 
said, and I think I heard through the grapevine, but have tried it and love it, advises people when their loved one is on the deathbed to, um, to tell them you love them, tell them something you're grateful for, and tell them you forgive them. Mm. And those are terribly profound mm. moments. People don't know what to say or what to do when their loved one is, is dying. They don't know what to do with that vulnerable heart. They're just feeling very like profoundly, but can't really direct that, right. you know? So Say it again. So some, uh, tell them that you love them, tell them that you're grateful for them, and tell them something you're sorry for? Well, no, tell them something you're grateful for. So specifically, okay. this was great. You know, you did this for me, or mm-hmm. I learned from this from you, or I'm thinking of like a parent dying in this case, mm-hmm. but um, I love this about you. Something you're grateful for. Tell them you love them. So this is just like the emotions. And then um, tell them you forgive them. Mm. You know? And people don't think to, to tell them you forgive them because, of course, I'm trying to be nice in every way. Yeah. But this is real. You get, you're getting real. Your heart's getting real. And, you're, um, and both the person who's dying and the people who are you know, there with a broken heart. So the first is um, gratitude. Now, all of these things can relate to the, I'm throwing too much in, but the, uh, the Hebrew concept of anthropology, of the heart. Mm. So in the Hebrew concept that is biblical in Jesus' time, when Mary was teaching Jesus, the Shema Israel, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is the Lord alone, the Lord your God is one, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. It's, the heart means the place of um, emotions. So... Not exclusively, but it does mean a place of emotions, like where this warm heart of romance comes from and friendship and all of these things that we associate. But it's more, it's also the place where uh, you store up memories and understanding and from what you think. So it's the place where you're you're kind of processing everything. And that can be good and bad, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of memories. And... Um, but it's also the, the seat of the will. Mm. So it's where you make decisions and where you um, follow them. You take action. You know? Okay, so you're, you're there, you're thinking, you're emoting, and you're willing. So in gratitude, you can just think of all the, you know, all of the memories that you have of this person that you're grieving over. Or say you're in prayer, and you're not grieving over anyone, but you're trying to exercise your heart then you're, you're working on gratitude and you're working on memory. And even just calling things to mind and then bringing them to the Lord can be a very powerful experience that if you're open, you're going to be very surprised. Yeah. You know? We tend to think of if I want to go into my memory and I want to feel prairie and religiousy, then I want to go to happy memories and feel that happy. Hmm. But there's something very powerful that God can do healing of memories that work your heart, change your heart, soften your heart. They get rid of the the walls in your heart and the coldness. They warm your heart. So I'll share one of those. We just did this exercise of healing prayer yesterday with our community. And um, one of many things that came up um, was that I get, I'm sad at times because I've kind of like what I was talking about with the books. I start projects all the time. I got lots of ideas and Mm -hmm. I start projects all the time. Sure. And a lot of them don't succeed or a lot of them just kind of stop. And I feel self-conscious about that. Like, you know, are people critical of that and just sad because I like the projects that I start and I want to see them to um, completion and, but sometimes they're just wild and then I start and I wonder why, why did I even, so i there was a lot, there's a lot of shame around that and sadness, like these things don't go through and am I just like a flaky and irresponsible or, you know, person. So then, but praying with it, I, the Lord took me from this sadness and broken heart and these memories of failures and then showed me the, um, Peter walking on the water, how this idiot and madman just jumps out of a boat and says, Jesus, I want to do something. I got this in my head. You can do this. Mm. And 
it makes no sense. It makes no sense to him or to the others. And I've, in the past, taken that as a story of kind of like the embarrassment of Peter, where he fails and he's reprimanded for, don't, don't you have enough faith? And made an example of in front of the other disciples. So it's like this grand failure that oh, maybe down the line he's going to be. But, but then the Lord showed me, oh, this is amazing. Jesus loves this guy for his madness, mm. for his, his failure, you know, that he tried and that he went for it. And, and even in the failure, these others in the boat are looking at it like, man, you know, I should, I could be bold and, and try stuff even if they fail. So I was just like, that was a huge pat on the back and a conversion of the memories. So then I'm looking at the memories and I'm saying, that was cool. I'm mm. glad I started that. I'm glad I tried that, even if it didn't go anywhere and failed. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, there's healing in memory that God can do if you open the heart, you know. Mm. But I had to dip in. Yeah, you ever had good. any of that, like, memory reframing or conversion reframing. or something? Yeah, I think I think it's important to, to say this, that God, we always think uh, that the past is done and it can't be changed, but in a certain sense, God can change the past mm. and better phrased as like, God can heal the way that you look at the past. Maybe. Um, yeah. I, I, there's a couple that come to mind. One of them, I definitely don't want to share. Um, but maybe this idea of like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to think about what yeah, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to push you when I can share, but, but I will say this, stuff. like, Sometimes um, we look back at, you know, different memories in our past of like when, you know, your, your mom said this to you, your dad said this to you, or um, when you were on the, you know, very reverent here. Cause I don't, like you said, this is very holy ground. Like when I was, this isn't an example for me, <laughs> but you know, like something like when I was on the playground, when I was, I don't know, 10 years old and um, someone pushed me and laughed at me. And then I made this like kind of, vow in my heart almost to say like, well, I'm never going to, um, go to the playground again. Like we make like these thinking patterns like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm never going to cry again. Like those statements of like, I'm never going to do this. I'm always going to do this. I'm, I'm never going to, uh, fail again. I'm never going to whatever. That's like the moments where Jesus actually wants to go back and meet you in the memory. Mm -hmm. And so I've prayed with memories before of certain wounds like that, that I invite Jesus into and then Jesus is now in the memory. And when I go back and think about it, it's like, no, 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 God has healed that memory. Mm. I don't need to have that thinking pattern anymore where I say, I'm never going to do that. I'm always going to do this. Like it's, it's those uh, always never statements that can get us into some trouble. God can heal those memories. And, um, you know, so maybe just like vaguely here, I have a memory with someone in my life who, who said something really hurtful to me and uh, inviting Jesus back into that memory Jesus going up to this person and saying, I forgive you. And then Jesus looking at me saying, can you forgive this person now too? Mm. And I was like, I don't know if I can, but with Jesus I can. Yeah. And then that's the memory for me now. It's still sometimes painful to think about, but it's, it's less painful than it was. Yeah. And when our hearts get like wounded or set in their ways, you set your heart on something, you know, uh, like you're saying, it can so color the way that we look back with our memory that right. you could have a, an awesome friendship for a long time and then something goes terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, okay, well, it's, it's just kind of a little wrong or something. Yeah. But when you think of a person or a situation or something, then the whole thing is colored by that one thing. And you can't just enjoy the whole you know, reality. I was like that after Rome, you know, when I left Rome and I was feeling bad for all mm. kinds of circumstances, but one just being I hadn't finished the doctoral stuff. I didn't want to think about Rome. And I, the, my going back there in my brain was just sad and shameful and all this stuff. When I got like over that healed, you know, I really think God had a lot to do with that and time and space and everything. Um, I have so many good memories that flooded back and mm. this makes me much happier. There was healing of the heart there and makes me less anxious about, you know, the rest of life and future. Have you been back to Rome physically? I went back with, uh, when father Daniel Eusterman defended his dissertation awesome. yeah. and it was great. I was actually kind of nervous about how this would feel. Not, 
I was happy to go. I'm yeah. not like that <laughs> broken, beat up and everything. But it, I was kind of like, how am I going to receive this? And it was fantastic. Yeah. Just loved it. So many good memories. So, yeah, there's, there's think, think with the, the heart broken open. You know, think with that unshielded heart. And sometimes it's just, you know, if you're in prayer, God is going to take you to think on the greatest things. Mm. But you also might think on things that are hurt, hurt, hurtful or whatever. Or if you're at the bedside of a loved one, then, you know, reminisce and let the Lord take you where he's, he wants to go. Yeah. Um, so then you can, your heart can become very grateful and that can kind of cloud out other things that you should forgive. You know, we hold on to resentments in our hearts. And that is really powerful. One of the most beautiful things about the, the forgiveness at the bedside is people don't want to admit that their, you know, father, mother, cousin, spouse, uh, parent has um, a child, has hurt them. And it's just life. It's okay. It's just life. We all make mistakes. We all hurt each other in ways because the world has fallen. And um, to say, I forgive you, is so powerful, man. Mm -hmm. And when you tell people, say to your loved one, you forgive them, both the person who's on the deathbed, they're, often they're unconscious, so then it, you don't get to see the reaction. But um, the person who's forgiving just weeps. Right. They, didn't, they don't even expect that, right. you know. Um, and they don't have to, you don't have to go through all the catalog of problems. It's just such a vulnerable moment for your heart that you can forgive in an instant. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome to be able to see that the freedom and the peace and the joy that comes mm. from that, you know? Um, so the forgiveness, yeah, the forgiveness, there's an opportunity with a broken heart where God can take advantage of that, um, for forgiveness. And then the, I love you is just let yourself feel. We can get cold of heart or indifferent. Our hearts can grow. Just, yeah, like, I don't know, we usually say that person is heartless or that uh, they have a heavy heart or all these things where to be able to emote, I have a hard time. I don't know, they say that men have a hard time, but I do have a hard time emoting, you know, sort of going to the place of feeling sadness and extraordinary joy. And I found that I don't laugh as good as, <laughs> as I once did. Uh, I sadly, but um, just the kind of emotions aren't very useful and I want to produce and I want to get work done and I want to like grow measurably and mm. have goals and stuff like that. And the emotions can kind of get in the way of a lot of that stuff. So yeah. it's hard work though. And it's going to, Place your heart closer to Jesus and take away that anxiety, you know, peace that passes all understanding. What yeah. do you think about emotion? What about it? Well, are, are, are you sad? Do you know when you're sad? Are you oh, like personally uh, angry? Or do you do you emote strongly? Or are you kind of? I mean, I'm, I'm phlegmatic, so I don't emote <laughs> strongly yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know um, yourself. Like people, Father John, he gets frustrated with me at times because like. He bought me this um, Peter Sagan biking jersey a couple of years ago uh, for my diaconate ordination. And like I opened it, I was just like, oh, cool, thanks. Which, <laughs> like, that's how he, you like, felt good. He, he, like, describes it that way. <laughs> I remember, like, opening up and be like, oh, man, this is amazing. <laughs> but, like, the way he tells the story, story is just like, you turbo phlegmatics, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, cool. There it is. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just funny on perspective. But I would say, yeah, I don't emote strongly. Um, but I feel deeply being okay. a little bit more melancholic. And so I can be sensitive at times, maybe overly sensitive. Um, and that's something I've, you know, growing in for sure, continue to grow in when people hurt you, they don't always mean to hurt you at least as deeply as they might. Um, but I think emotions are good, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're neutral. We would say, right. They, yeah. they can lead towards good or they can lead towards evil. Um, does like anger being a neutral emotion, does it lead you towards um, getting justice um, and, or mercy or something? Or does it lead you towards hatred and resentment? Yeah. Right. Like, but they're just reactions to something. It's good. They to are. Be, it's good to be aware of them mm -hmm. and then to be, uh, to feel them. Right. Right. And rather than to deny or suppress them. But and I don't know, like if you have a moral of 
like moral of the story of what we talked about today. Oh no, I just just um, to say, it's often very helpful for, for a priest and just for people who are mourning to say, give yourself permission to uh, feel the things that go with mourning, mm-hmm. to feel angry, you know, to feel sad, to feel joy, to feel relief, and sometimes people think that they're supposed to feel something specific, and you just let it be. And know that that's all part of the mourning process. What if I feel nothing? That's fine. Just be honest about it. Yeah. You know? And sometimes there's also a delayed effect. I was going to say that. good yeah. to be aware of. It's usually like, you know, and, and I see this a lot with like older siblings, um, especially the brother, the oldest brother. Um, I have to be strong for everyone else. Mom just died. I have to be mm. strong. I'm not going to show any emotion. We get through the funeral. We get through the burial. And then a month later, it's like, they're broken. Mm. And it's like, yeah, so, so know yourself, be um, aware of your heart, be aware of your emotions, be aware of these things. Uh, talk to others, talk to friends, yeah. talk to family, be a community. Uh, it's, it's not a weakness to say, I need to go talk to someone about this. I need to talk to a psychologist about this. I need to uh, process these things. But ultimately, go to Christ. Uh, he heals all things. He have no anxiety because, because Christ will set you free from all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe that's the, the point. If you want to do the, the heart exercise, then, then exercise gratitude and actually think on things, you know, reflect on your life, figure out what you're grateful for, express that in prayer. You can go to prayer and then you can, um, emote that is Jesus. I love you. A lot of our prayer is about expressing just our emotions and and then talk to people that's that's working on the heart it's doing the work of the heart i'm sad about this i'm angry and not just the people who are going to get pissed off with you uh, but just somebody who will listen you know um and then that piece of uh of forgiveness settling things and um i can't think of anything else expressing desires express the desires to God with mm-hmm. a grateful heart. Like this says, pray and, and exercise supplication. That is ask for things. Um, so just all that you can do to be aware of the heart. Don't be afraid that it's a, that a broken heart is a bad thing. It's actually like a real opportunity for God to do great work and, um, yeah, hand over God in these particular ways. It's beautiful to have the experience of, of, of beating heart, a heart that beats with God. Mm. You got a hundred thousand opportunities every day. Yep. That's a lot of opportunities. That's a lot of heartbeats. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. You, <laughs> you just did indeed. All right. So <laughs> Sorry. I'm I don't know. I mean, I've, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts and then it's like kind of, Sometimes you have those topics where it's like more teaching and then others it's more conversational or I bring my examples and then it's like, hey, what do you think? You know, well, I, that's I not it the is. best. It's not the best way of managing a conversation. Sure. And I'm not always good at that, but I hope I didn't hijack your topic or anything. It was great. No, no, no. Good. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your vulnerable heart warmed by <laughs> World Youth Day and other things. Thanks, Father Mike. You've really emoted. (laughs) Um, And this is, I should say, this is a man with a very gentle heart and a kind heart. So this is the kind of priest you want by your bedside, this Father Sean Conroy. Thank you. Call him. Thank you. And that's that's a good point, too, because I was about to say that, too, of... Um, if you have a broken heart, don't be afraid to talk to your priest about it as well. We deal with a lot of things in confession at um, end of life and stuff. And if you feel like, oh, my priest won't understand because he's old or he's in his office and, and watches TV a lot, whatever it is, trust me, your priest likely will understand. Don't be afraid to go talk to him. Yeah. We get a lot of heart work. That's great. That's part of the Christian life and makes us shepherds. All right, uh, you got shout-outs, or how does this work? Yep. Is this the end of the <laughs> episodes? Man, I have a lot Can of shout-outs here. Epi- oh, no. Go ahead. A lot of shout-outs here. Um, who should I pick? I have this running list, and I can't remember who. Usually, I check them off. I don't think I've checked all these off. But anyways, I'd like to shout-out uh, Matt and Shannon Miley, who I baptized their baby the other day. Um, and then Shannon... Uh, her brother and sister-in-law Justin and Megan Langfield 
um, they were the godparents and um, they were commenting extensively on Catholic stuff so thank you for listening yeah. Matt and Shannon Miley as well as Justin and Megan Langfield and I want to shout out all of the permanent deacons who were just ordained I mean just ordained is like a month ago but I missed Deacon Day mm-hmm. I had a hospital call and I couldn't go to the mass and barbecue that was um, a, an opportunity that I was really looking forward to seeing them I missed their ordination for my retreat and um, those were my students in two years of teaching um, and they're all older than me but I love them as, as sons and in a way it's you know bizarrely but also as just brothers as clergy and I'm very proud of them. I love you guys. I am um, so happy that you're ordained. You're such a gift to the church and to the world. Um, care about the poor. Love the poor. And a special shout out to uh, Deacon Sam Bittner. Chef he, Chef Sam. The chef. He has always been such an encouraging fan of the show. And, he has. Uh, and just encouraging personally. He's a very encouraging person. And a great chef. So um, Deacon Sam super proud of you congratulations and uh also deacon kevin mccutcheon as long as i'm here he's our deacon at the cathedral and a good friend and yeah. helps, helps me train keeps, love it keeps that heart strong all right god bless you everybody remember the poor um hope you have great heart health eat wheaties <laughs> is wheaties uh eat pomegranates and drink red wine is what i hear amen god bless you thank you everyone mm-hmm.